0: You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment. Laboring in renewed vocations for the common good and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. You may be seated for the reading of God's Word. Our first reading comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 25. That begins on page 944, 944 of your Pew Bible, and as we will continue to remind you every week, if you do not have a Bible at home, please take one as a gift from us to you. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us.
1: Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel this morning comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 13, which you can find on page 885 of your Bible. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God.
2: Amen. Dear friends, you may be seated. It's my pleasure to introduce to you our new bishop, Bishop Chris Warner. Some of you, uh, when you heard the bishop was visiting, you expected to see uh, Bishop John Guernsey. He has since retired. We are uh, grateful for his many years of faithful service and we wish him a good and and peaceful retirement. And Bishop Chris, we're so glad that you're here. Thank you you for serving us and for leading us. Um, Just want to say one or two quick things about. Bishop Chris and his uh, wonderful, lovely wife, Catherine. They came to town yesterday. They came over to the Murata house, and we got a chance to kind of have a late breakfast together and get to know each other a little bit. Um, One of the questions that people have asked me frequently over the years is, hey, who's, who's your pastor? Who pastors the pastor? Isn't it hard being a pastor? You don't get to have a pastor. And one of the things that I just cheerfully get to tell them is, actually, I do. I do get to have a pastor. It's the bishop. And so... It's, it's kind of the answer to the question, like, how do you have healthy local churches that don't end up being all about the personality and the leadership of that particular lead pastor? And as I know a number of you have been in this season of discernment trying to figure out if you're going to make Redeemer your home, you've probably wondered, like, what does it mean to join this church? Does it mean that you have to get on board with my vision? Is that what it means to be a member here? And the wonderful... Cheerful, lighthearted response to that is no, that's not what this is. I'm a person under authority. I submit to the bishop. And we all together are a part of something much older and larger and wiser than my own little vision, right? (laughs) And so it's a wonderful thing to be a part of the global and historic church. It's a wonderful thing to have a bishop to oversee us, to guide us, to govern us, to make sure that we stay on the rails. And so I could keep going. But for all those reasons and more, we're so glad you're here. Can I say a little prayer before Please you preach do, to us? Thank Heavenly you. Father, thank you for uh, my bishop, our bishop, uh, your servant, uh, Bishop Chris. Lord, I pray that you would speak through him to us this morning. Would you open our ears and our hearts and our minds? to receive your word to us through your servant, Bishop Chris. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.
3: Amen. Thank you, Dan. What a joy it is to be with you. And if I could just correct one thing, even though he said you know, don't have to get on board with his vision, like don't fight against it. It'll, <laughs> it'll help your pastor out a whole lot. Um, as Dan said, I'm Chris uh, Chris Warner, my wife, Catherine. I am the new and second uh, diocesan bishop of the Diocese of the Mid-Atlantic. We've been married, well, it'll be 30 years this October, and um, yesterday was her birthday, and today's Mother's Day, and she's the best. (laughs) At least the best person in my life, so thanks for getting me in trouble or joining me in the trouble I'm going to be in after this service is over because she doesn't like that I do that. We're also uh, the parents of Anna and Caroline and Nathan, they're all in their 20s and they're fantastic too. Uh, Prior to to our time, uh, uh, prior to moving to Virginia, we spent the last 20 years uh, near Charleston, South Carolina where we had the joy of uh, doing ministry in that context. We're really glad to be here now um, to follow the Lord and to be a part of His work in this region. This is my first uh, of, God willing, many Episcopal visitations, and that in itself is joyful for me, but also today there is a joy because I get to preach the Word of God uh, to you, and, um, and it just happens to be that we're in one of my favorite parts of Scripture as well. Uh, we're in Romans 8, the great 20th century Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said that Romans 8 is the most beautiful gem in this most glorious of books. It's one of the high points of the New Testament. It begins with the truth that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not even a category for the Christian. And it ends in this glorious reality and truth that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Those are the bookends for a part of what we're gonna look at today, which is the middle section, or at least a good part of the middle section, which has to do with our identity in Jesus Christ. Now, I heard a story about a man, a true story. On August 1st, 2004, he was found beaten, naked, unconscious and covered in fire ant bites next to a dumpster behind a Burger King restaurant in Richmond Hill, Virginia, uh, Georgia, excuse me. We're in Richmond, Virginia, Richmond Hill, Georgia. Um, The man had no wallet, he had no phone, he had no identification of any kind, and when they got him to the hospital and he later uh, awoke, it was discovered that he had retrograde amnesia which is full amnesia, it's the kind that Hollywood makes movies about. He could not remember anything about his identity, who he was, where he was from, nothing. It was a complete blank out for him. And for 21 years, no one knew who he was. The authorities did record searches, they did uh, fingerprint testing, they did as much analysis as they could, and everything came back just blank. Dr. Phil, the TV psychologist, therapist, I'm not sure what he is, Dr. Phil did a program on this guy and had a whole sort of nationwide outreach, and nobody came forward. Dr. Phil actually hired a private investigator to do a really deep dive and they found nothing on this man. Nobody knew who he was, including himself. Now, imagine, imagine if that were you. You come to church today and then you go on about your day, you have lunch, you hang out with your friends or with your family everything's going normal, you get up to go to work tomorrow, go to school tomorrow, and then bam, something happens, some trauma, some accident, some crisis occurs. And you wake up, and for the next 21 years, you don't know who you are. 21 years is longer than some of you have been alive. It would be an absolute tragedy, It's very similar to the way some Christians walk through their Christian life. The average person, the average churchgoer may spend year after year in the pews, on committees, doing the things without having the foggiest notion of who you are in Jesus Christ. Not understanding the permissions that you have, the freedoms that you have by virtue of your relationship with Jesus. Not knowing your identity in Christ and what this identity affords you both now and assures you for the future to come. And that's what we're gonna touch on today, our identity in Christ. So if you will, let's look at the text together. I won't go through every verse, I wish I could, I don't have time to. We're gonna go to Romans eight, that's on page, I think, 944 of your pew Bible there, if you want to turn there, we'll take a look at the text together, starting at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Notice what it says about your identity in Christ. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. What's your identity in Christ? You are an adopted daughter of God. You are an adopted son of God. Now, this is not something that you have by nature. This is not something that everybody has. You have it by nature. The fact that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, we heard it in the gospel, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of a husband's will, not born of the flesh, but born of God, born of the Spirit. It's a a privilege, it's something that you are allowed to enter into, but you don't do it on your own, it's through Jesus Christ. Because of what he has done, by trusting in him, by receiving him, God gives you the son of God's own status in the family, you become a child. You are adopted into the very family of God. Now, God does not have to adopt you, but he does choose to adopt you. There there have been many accidental conceptions in this world, but there has never once been an accidental adoption. You may be the product of an unwanted pregnancy, but you are not the product of an unwanted adoption. No, no, no. God has chosen you. God has chosen you. God has chosen you. I love the way the Passion version of the scripture puts it. You have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. Full acceptance means you don't have to strive and perform, you don't have to earn anything. You have been given something, you have received something, you have been enfolded into the very family of God by virtue of your faith, by virtue of what he has done on your behalf for you. Your identity in Christ is this. You are his adopted child and he is your heavenly father. Now, the apostle Paul was very intentional about using this adoption imagery as he was writing to the Romans because in the Roman culture, while a While a natural son could be cut off from the family, an adopted child could never be forsaken. And so he's using very pointed imagery to drive home what our identity really is. You can't be cut off when you've been adopted. You can't be forsaken. You will not be let go of by your heavenly father. And when you begin to see what that means, and when you begin to let that truth settle in, when you begin to trust in what God's word has said about you, that you'll never be rejected, you'll never be abandoned, you'll never be forsaken, you'll never be cast off, you'll never be sent away, you always have a home in the heart of the living God. You have a forever future with him. That is your identity. And you must, you must, you must see yourself through God's eyes as revealed by the scripture so that you can live in peace and at rest in the family of God. This is your heritage. Now, when when God came into my life, I came to faith as a college student, age 19. I stepped into the faith of my infant baptism. I had a powerful encounter with Jesus, I desperately needed forgiveness because I was, I was wrecking the world around me in a whole lot of ways. And it was fantastic news, but even though I came to Christ, even though I was new in Christ, I brought all the baggage of my life with me. Do you know what I mean by that? You see, my background was I had been abandoned by my biological father. I had been abused by my stepfather. And the message that I carried in my heart was I'm all alone. I've got to do this life on my own. I've got to figure this out on my own. I've got to strive to prove myself. And I brought all of that into my faith life and began to project it onto God. And so it looked like working really hard as a Christian. It looked like striving really hard because there was deep down in my heart this sense, and it wasn't a conscious thing so much as this fear that perhaps God might leave me too. I needed some healing, and you might need some healing too in those deep places of your heart so that you can live into the freedom that God has for you. You'll know you need that if you are worn out and if there's very little joy in your life when you think of your relationship with the Lord. Paul says you have not been given a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. That's what that's talking about, is that, that underlying discomfort and dissettledness. You might need to talk to one of the pastors and get some prayer go to the prayer team and get some prayer. God wants you free from this. Now, notice that Paul encouraged us to think of our Heavenly Father in the most intimate way. We cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa, it's it's baby language. It's really uncomfortable for sophisticated people. It's the most emotive expression. We cry, we call out passionately deeply, profoundly. Now, think about it. When does a child cry out for their daddy? When they're sad, when they're angry, when they're hurt, when things are a mess, when they're in trouble, when they need protection. I can't tell you the number of times my children, when they were little, I would hear them calling in the night, Daddy! because there was a thunderstorm, because the darkness was pressing in, because somebody was about to vomit or just had vomited. (laughs) But, But they didn't just cry out when things were going bad. They also cried out when things were good. I can remember coming home from trips and all three kids and both dogs would burst towards the door as I came in, crying out, Daddy's home! It was a party. I loved it. They had no fear of coming into my presence because they knew that my presence was a welcome space for them, an invitational atmosphere where they would be caught up in my arms and loved individually and uniquely one by one. By the Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father, Abba. Now look at verse 16. It is the Spirit himself who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God wants you to have assurance. God wants you to be secure that you are His. That's part of what the Spirit does. You're not a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit coming in. He makes you a new creation, but He also then sets up shop inside, if you will. He starts the renovation project. He begins to speak to you the truth. He begins to enlighten the Scripture to, to make the sacraments come alive, to make the church something more than just those people I see occasionally. He comes to release gifts and to build fruit, and to shape your character, and, oh yeah, to assure you, to witness to you that you belong to God, that you're in the family. Passion version again says, the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers to our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, Let me just tell you, you are God's beloved child, and in fact, you're daddy's favorite. The beauty, of course, in Christ is that we're all the favorite of God. There's no up and down, good days and bad days. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we might also be glorified with him. Because we're God's children now, we stand to inherit with Christ later. In fact, we're co-heirs with Christ. What's his will also one day be yours and ours. Now, how much do you think that is? He is king of kings and lord of lords, and it's all his which means that he invites you to step into all that is his, which I think is probably an awful lot, immeasurable, extraordinary. And this is not designed to evoke some kind of greed in you. It's designed to help you recognize there is so much ahead of us. There is so much waiting for you, the unfathomable riches and treasures of God all the treasures will be ours. It's more than the shiny trinkets the world says will satisfy your heart. Like like he created quasars. Do you you think we get some sort of inheritance with quasars? Like maybe we'll get to surf a quasar one day. I I don't know. Like you have to let your creative imagination roll and, and we so often make God such a small God. And we try to to dumb down his heart instead of recognizing the breadth of his willingness to give to those who are his. And most beautiful of all, and we'll say it in the Eucharistic liturgy, is you're going to see him face to face. (laughs) What joy will that be? There will not be shame on his face. There will not be disappointment on his face. There will be welcome and acceptance and the delight of the one who created giraffes, who came up with duck platypuses. I mean, he's got to have a great sense of humor. The delight of our Father for us because of our faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done in us. The end of verse 17 says we'll be glorified with him. We're going to share in the radiant beauty and splendor and perfection of Christ. Now, Now think for a minute about the sun rising over a mountain peak, the summit covered in snow. Maybe you've seen this in the Alps or the Rockies, Sierra Nevada's high peaks, this glorious beauty of the sun shining in the morning. The mountain peak blazes in white brightness The mountains themselves have a splendor and a grandeur, but it's the reflected glory of the sunlight upon them that makes them radiantly captivating and blazingly and blindingly beautiful. It's because they're reflecting the greater glory of the sun. And it says, you're going to reflect the greater glory. You'll be blazingly, blindingly beautiful. But that beauty will not be for your... Own, it will be for the glory of God. It's going to cause us to worship him. This is who you are in Christ. You've not been fully unveiled yet, by the way. You're not sure of that. Ask your spouse or a friend, and they'll say, yeah, you're not all the way unveiled yet, but you will be one day. Now, here's the rub. All of this brings suffering in life, and, and this is the part of the gospel that American Christianity tends to want to avoid because many of us have in our hearts an idol of comfort an idol of entitlement an idol of greed you, you name it right it's that that sort of stuffism that goes on there is an enemy and that enemy hates you that enemy cannot take you away from Christ but if he can cause you to doubt the Scriptures, to get caught up in the silliness of this world, then he might have the opportunity to cause you to live less than you have the right to live as a new creation in Christ and to keep you from the purpose of God in the lives of this church and this region and the world around you. And there is a world that just can't stand real Christianity and the world will be offended by you because you're no longer waltzing with them on a pleasure cruise toward hell, right? In Christ, you you begin to get a new value system. It's called the holiness of the Lord. You have a new motivation, the love of Jesus Christ. You have a new power, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and a new purpose, the glory of God, not just getting ahead and winning by having the most stuff, but the glory of God and the great good of the people around you. And that is offensive to people who are still finding their value in fame and wealth and beauty and youth and security in this world. They're chasing mirages, and they'll punish you in small or large ways for not running after the mirage with them. So you will suffer for the name of Jesus. And there, there was a, in, at one point in uh, the Anglican world, when bishops would confirm, which I'll be doing today, uh, I'll do the confirming, they would first lay hands on the person and pray over them for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and then the bishop would slap the person on the cheek. I promise, confirmands, I'm not going to do that to you today. Although I had a bishop who did that, and he always hit the guys harder than the women, you know, I, anyway. Anyway. Um, but, but the point was, yes, the Spirit of God is in your life, and yes, you might suffer for your faith in Jesus Christ. And it was a visual and physical reminder that you might suffer for the name of Jesus. You might get snobbed, excluded, passed over, uninvited, unfollowed, unfriended, made fun of, not because you go to church, but because you believe in the uniqueness of Jesus Christ as the Son of God entering into the world, suffering, dying, and rising for sinners. Belonging to Jesus might even cost you your life. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing... With the glory that is to be revealed to us paul's not denying pain he's not denying suffering or difficulties he's he's a man who suffered for his faith deeply he's just saying that the sufferings we face are small in comparison to what will come verse 19 for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of god it's like the creation itself the universe is craning its neck trying to get a a glimpse of the revealing of this family that God's building, standing on tiptoe, waiting for the big reveal of the fullness of God's glorious sons and daughters. There's a a point in a wedding service, in the ceremony. Perhaps you have uh, been uh, married and been through this, or certainly probably all of us have been to a wedding. Dan and I get the pleasure of being in the best, Seat in the house for this because the pastor is standing at the front. Usually the groom is to his left. The wedding party comes in, kind of takes their places. And then there's that moment. The music shifts, maybe to Pachelbel's Canon, maybe something else. And everybody stands. And everybody, it's like there's, there's always this collective moment of the unveiling of the bride. The, the, the doors open. And it's almost like, I see some heads nodding, you know that moment. Have you ever noticed there is never an ugly bride? Ever, 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 ever. There's this unveiling of beauty that's happening before us. That's what Paul's pointing to, it's gonna be like that. The creation is waiting to see all of the sons and daughters of God in their fullness, the anticipation and the reverence We know that the whole creation, verse 22, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul's describing the fact that from the time of the fall, the creation itself has been subjected to futility and death, pets, plants, and people. They all die. And probably if you're like me, some of the greatest grief of your life revolves around the death of those whom you love. But it's not permanent because of what Jesus has done on the cross and the resurrection. For 2,000 years, that process of death has been being undone, and that's terrible grammar. It's been being undone but that's what's happening. It's past and it's present progressive, and I don't know how to to navigate that in English, but that's the best I can get to. There's this universal agony like a woman in labor with varying degrees of intensity, sometimes mild discomfort, sometimes excruciating pain, but the baby is coming. The creation is longing for the restoration of all things, and not just the creation. Paul says, we long to, there's an ache in the christian for home there's an there's an ache for home and sometimes it's it's little and sometimes it's it's extraordinary for what for home and the fullness of adoption and it's also when we get our new bodies i don't know about that some of you are probably too young for this longing to have emerged yet, but there may be a few folks who are ready for a new body. The restoration and redemption of your body. Marvelous. Let me wrap up. As a Christian, you're more than just a guest with God. You're more than just someone he's tolerating because he has to. More than a servant of God I can tell you that a servant does not come into my house and sit in my lap. But my children, even in their 20s, and they wouldn't necessarily do this, they still have that right. And they know that when they need me, they have me. And I'm always available. You have been an adopted son. You are an adopted daughter of the Lord Most High because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And when that sinks in, you can rest securely in the family. Now, incidentally, that man that I talked about with amnesia at the beginning, who wandered through life, he went by the name of Benjamin Kyle, BK, Burger King, Benjamin Kyle, for like 21 years, and then DNA testing revealed who he was. His name is William Powell. You can watch stuff about them on YouTube if you want. Friends, don't live in amnesia. Don't live without knowing who you are in Christ. Rest in the family. You have been adopted at a great price. Let's, Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you. Let it sink in, Jesus. Let it sink in, Holy Spirit. Would you drive all fear away from our hearts that we might rest securely because of what Jesus has done for us. We pray this, Lord, in his name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.